What's up, everyone? Welcome to the program. It is Not Your Average Boston Sports Podcast. I am your host, Garrett Hayden. As always, you can listen to the podcast on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify. And you can follow our social pages on Twitter and on Facebook for the latest updates. Uh, Really happy to be with you folks today. There's a a lot of sports stuff to get to, a lot of Boston sports stuff. Um, So I'm going to try to keep this intro short and sweet, but really looking forward to it. You know, Patriots, Cardinals, Monday Night Football tonight, probably one of the, if not the biggest game of the year for the Patriots to this point. Um, there's a lot of Red Sox stuff, you know, unfortunately. I think there's some stuff we're going to have to cover. It's probably going to be, um, you know, frustrating, but it is what it is, you know. Celtics and Bruins, plenty of that as well. Um, so yeah, let's get into it, but uh, before I go any further, would like to uh, say thanks to uh, Tyler Hayden for uh, coming on the uh, guest Friday last week. Fun to uh, talk to my brother about the uh, the Celtics. That was a fun conversation. If you have not listened to it, you can go check that out. It was a really fun conversation. Just talking about you know where things stand for the Celtics at the uh, quarter point of the season. Guest Friday this week. Really excited to welcome back uh, Matt Plew to the, pro- to the program. Uh, he'll be returning to Guest Friday. Matt's been our uh, kind of college basketball person that I like to talk to, so I'm going to be catching up with him later this week um, as we talk about kind of where things stand in uh, men's college basketball. So looking forward to that as well. So going to get right into it. Patriots, Cardinals tonight, Monday Night Football, 815, uh, ESPN, Channel 4 as well. So uh, you know, it's it's a huge game. You know, I think any of these games down the stretch for the Patriots are huge games. You know, if they intend to be a playoff football team, which is, I think, what we're assuming this team wants right now. And, you know, yeah, it's been a difficult last, you know, 10 or 11 days where I think, obviously, when you watch that Bills game, the Patriots really were overmatched. You know, and I think it's easy for everyone to look at everything and be like, oh my God, this is, you know, the worst thing I've ever seen. And it's like, it's hard to believe that they're six and six. It's hard to believe that they are right in the thick of the playoff chase. Obviously, they're not, you know, in a playoff spot right now, but they're right there, you know. And I think that it's easy for us to be like, oh my God, things are so bad. Things are so horrible, but they're really not that bad. I mean, things could be way worse. You know, and I understand that, yes, the offense really has not been solid all season long, but you're still in a position where if you win some games, you could still make noise and you could still get into the playoffs. And, you know, this isn't this isn't a point that you're at where it's like you are five and nine and there's no way that you're getting to the playoffs. And, you know, there really be I don't want to say no point, but it's like. You would have a hard time being motivated, but this team's six and six, and you know there's nothing really else they can do except go out and play and go out and try to win a football game. So, you know that's what that's what's happening tonight, and you know going up against an Arizona team that is pretty vulnerable. You know if you look at them from kind of an overall standpoint. You know, they haven't really put it together this this season. And whether that's, you know, suspensions, injuries, 
whatever it is, you know, they've been one of the most disappointing teams in the league this year, and they're one and six at home. So, you know, I'm not trying to say that the Patriots should win this game and should win this game easily because the rest of their schedule, there's nothing, there's no game that you can point to and be like, oh, that's a win. But this is why they play the games, you know, so you're coming in against a Cardinals team that I think thinks that they can still be a playoff team, but, you know, they're going to be desperate to win this game as well. So I think just kind of looking at this game simply in terms of keys to victory, I think defensively, you're going up against an offense that has had some issues this season, but they're still very talented. You know, Kyler Murray is one of the most talented quarterbacks in the league and sure has had his issues throwing the football this season, but you know, one of the best running quarterbacks. And I think, honestly, might be even more quicker on his feet and quicker change of direction than someone like Lamar Jackson. So, you know, the tackling for the Patriots has to be good, you know, and that is all levels of the defense, whether it's the front seven, the defensive line, the linebackers, wrapping up on Kyler Murray, wrapping up on, you know, James Conner, one of their backs, you know, but also for the guys in the secondary with, you know, Hollywood Brown and DeAndre Hopkins, you know, two of the, in my opinion, two of the most gifted receivers in the league. So tackling has to be at the top of the list for keys to victory on defense that you cannot allow them to break tackles and get out in space because they're going to kill you. And the Patriots have had some issues with that this season where, running quarterbacks have presented huge problems that they've kind of run all over the place. So it'll be curious to see how they look to defend against that. But I also would say you have a lot of elite athletes that you have to defend against with Murray and Hopkins and Brown. So you have to be aware where they are on the field at all times. So I think that the awareness needs to be at an all-time high where there there needs to be someone with those two receivers at all times. You know, whether it's John Jones, whether it's Jack Jones, you know, do they look at someone like Miles Bryant? Because unfortunately, Jalen Mills is not going to play this game. So, you know, you're down one of your better cover corners. So it becomes a big opportunity for someone like Jack Jones. And, you know, can he jump a couple routes? But I think you have to be aware of where these guys are on the field at all times because their speed will kill you. You know, Hollywood Brown is a similar speed receiver like Tyree Kill. Not saying that he's Tyree Kill, but he's a guy that if you let get away from you, he will run away and he will score a long touchdown. You know, and then obviously Murray as well. So, you know, defensively they have to be on their toes. They have to be aware. They have to tackle well. Um, And I think offensively, I feel like I say this every week, but I think you limit turnovers, you limit plays where you're throwing the ball into traffic or, you know, you're making the, you're having a miscommunication or things like that. You know, you can't turn the ball over because the Cardinals are a defense that while statistically they're not great against the pass, they've been able to create turnovers in games and they've been able to score on turnovers. So, you know, you can't lose the turnover battle in this game because I think as desperate as the Cardinals are, they're going to be looking for a big play on defense. So you have to be aware of your surroundings. 
you know, I think that clearly the line has to do a good job of keeping Mac Jones upright. But I think also this is one of those games where the Cardinals have a couple guys on defense that are, you know, really savvy players. You know, and I think of someone like Buda Baker, who's been one of their best defenders all season when he's been healthy, but he's a guy where it's like there's a, there could be a play where someone catches a pass and he, you know, comes up behind them and jars the ball loose. So I think you have to, again, be aware of where all these guys are on the field at the same time. And so limiting turnovers, don't throw it into traffic. You know, I think keep things simple. Um, but I also think at the same time, you want to take some chances because this is a Cardinals defense that is not very good against the pass. You know, they're very similar to Minnesota. Minnesota, I think, statistically is the worst team against the pass. Arizona, I think, is bottom 10 in the league in passing yards again. So I think you should be able to take some chances. You should be able to throw the football all over the field. I know that maybe there were some concerns about Buffalo with their defense, but this is an Arizona defense that you should be able to move the ball up and down the field. And I think really, honestly, it's going to come down to how you perform in the red zone. You know, can you score touchdowns? Can you call plays? Can you execute plays correctly? So I think it's going to be, you know, another one of those games where the offense could look good, but they absolutely have to convert in the red zone. And this is the other thing. The special teams need to be top-notch in this game. Um, I think that Arizona isn't necessarily a well-coached team, in my opinion, and so I think special teams, that's the one area where you could take advantage. You know, Marcus Jones with a couple good punt returns, maybe he returns one for a touchdown. You know, getting down the field defensively on punt returns. Brendan Schooler, Matt Slater, you know, making tackles. Um, you know, not allowing special teams to become a reason why you lose a game, become the reason why, you know, you win the game, come up with a big play. You know, Marcus Jones has been really, really good returning kicks this year. So I wouldn't be surprised if I'm not saying he's going to return a punt for a touchdown tonight, but I'm not going to be surprised if he gets them into good field position. But the Patriots have to take advantage and they have to be able to score points off turnovers. You know, that was one of the killers in that Buffalo game, especially at the end of that first half. You're down 17-7, you get a fumble, you get the ball at midfield, and you can't score any points. That cannot happen in this game. You know, it just, you, you can't have it happen. So you have to find some way to be able to score points um, and be able to keep all those Cardinals offensive players in front of you. Um, you know, as I mentioned, losing Jalen Mills is a big loss in this game. Jacoby Myers is also out, suffered a concussion late in the Bills game on a pretty pretty dirty hit. Um, I don't know who the player was, but I believe that the player was fined. But obviously it's a big loss. Jacoby is, you know, Max kind of go-to receiver. So it's going to be an important game for Nelson Aguilar, Kendrick Bourne, um, Devontae Parker, Tyquan Thornton. You know, I think those guys are really going to need to come up big in this game and be able to be sure-handed targets for Mac. Um, I also look at Hunter Henry. I think he could have a monster game. I think he could have a game similar to the game that he had on Thanksgiving in Minnesota where, you know, in all honesty, should have had two touchdowns. But 
I do think this is a game where the offense could be able to move the ball really well. It's just going to come down to how you perform on special teams and how you perform in the red zone. So you got to hope that, you know, Devontae Parker can maybe make a play or two, go up and catch those deep balls, go up and catch those 50-50 balls, because he's honestly been doing a better job of that recently. So you hope that you can get some of those guys involved offensively, you know, to make up for the loss of Myers. You know, I also said offensive line has got to give Mac time. You know, you really got to hope that the Patriots can have some guys available for this game. Trent Brown, Yadni Kajest, I believe, are questionable. Um, obviously, Isaiah Wynn is still out with the foot. So you hope that one of those two guys that I just mentioned, you know, Kajest or Brown, you got to hope one of them plays. Um, but I think the biggest thing, got to keep Mac upright, got to be able to give him time to throw. Um, Because if they don't, you know, it's going to be a real, it's going to be another really long night. So, you know, I think there's a reason to believe that the Patriots can perform well offensively in this game. You know, it's just going to be, how do they perform in the big moments? You know, so look, I think, again, looking at this team and where they are at six and six with five games to go, you know, they are in position that, you know, you win a couple games and you could be a playoff team. So this is why this game and next week against the Raiders, where you're going up against teams that have had issues this season, where these two teams have looked really vulnerable at times. And so I think if you can come out of here with two wins in these games, you have a very good chance to make the playoffs. Um, but I think... You have to come into this game with desperation. And I think you have to understand that Arizona is coming into this game with desperation. I mean, this is pretty much their season right here. You know, if they lose this game, they're pretty much done. And I think the Patriots have to look at this the same way. And look, if we, we can't afford to lose a game, you know, we cannot afford to lose this game. And so I think playing with that desperation, playing with that we have nothing to lose, mentality you know could be huge and i think you bet the team has probably heard a lot of negativity over the last 10 days or so and i think that they should be motivated and they think they should be ready to be desperate and be able to you know pull out all the stops and big moments to be able to win this game you know the patriots are favored by two points i fully expect that it's going to be close but i think it comes down to can you make the right decisions in big moments in the game. So that's what it's going to come down to. But I think, you know, this is a Patriots team that, yeah, has gone through a lot of a lot of negativity this year. And, you know, some of that negativity, you could argue, has been brought on by, by the team themselves. But, you know, this is what it is. You know, as I said last week, you got five games to go. You know, it's going to... You know, I don't, I don't want to say like, oh, it's going to show what you're made of, but it's like, you know, this is why they play the games, you know, and it's five games to go and anything can happen. And I think this is a team that, yes, has dealt with a lot this season, but I think they got to think that, okay, there is still a way that they can salvage this season. You know, you win the next two, you win one of the, one of the final three games, and maybe you can get into the playoffs. So, you know, you just got to hope that 
with kind of the extra long week, they can improve and be able to, you know, feel good about their game during the game, but then feel good about what they've done after the game, assuming that they can win. Um, but again, I think it's going to be close. I think the Patriots defense comes up with a big play, but I think it's going to come down to what can the offense do in big moments? What can you do in the red zone? What can you do off of turnovers? What can you do, you know, early in the game to try to set the tone? It's going to be a, it's going to be, it's going to be a dogfight tonight. I think it's going to be um, a really exciting game, but I think Patriots have to bring their A game. So again, we will see tonight, 8-15 ESPN, Monday Night Football, Patriots Cardinals. I think it's going to be a pretty good game. So uh, I think we're going to move on and yep, we're going to talk about the Red Sox. I know that this was kind of the one thing I was dreading uh, to talk about all week, um, you know, given the uh, the whole Bogarts thing, but, you know, we got to, we got to talk about it, folks. You know, this is a Boston sports podcast. There's no way that I was just going to skim past this. Um, you know, I think it's just, it's just frustration, I think is the, is the easiest word that I can use and is probably the word that everyone's been feeling, you know, and I think there are some people, in my opinion, that might have anger misplaced. Um, and I think, to me, this issue of, you know, losing Bogarts is not just a one-time issue. You know, this is an issue that goes a lot deeper than this particular player. Um, and it goes, you know, far goes back far longer. Um, and I think that it's just me being a fan and just being, I think, irritated with the ownership that it just doesn't seem like they take their, you know, homegrown stars seriously, if that makes sense, where when a player is set to, you know, get a new contract, they just automatically assume that a player is going to take a hometown discount, you know, and they're not going to want what their market value is. And, you know, we've seen it time and time again over the last couple of years that, you know, you can even trace this back to, you know, John Lester, and you probably could trace it back to even longer, you know, other guys that went out and signed big contracts after, you know, being let go by the Red Sox. And, you know, you saw it with Lester, the Red Sox, it was almost a carbon copy of what happened with Bogarts. The Red Sox ownership, you know, lowballed Lester. He chose to go signs elsewhere, and the Red Sox spent more money on David Price. You know, similar thing happened two years ago with Mookie Betts. Red Sox ownership did not feel comfortable giving him a big long-term deal, so they traded him. Um, and so I think, look, yes, ultimately, Haim Bloom is in charge of some of these player moves, but you have to remember with these big contracts that players are signing, ownership has to sign off on that. And I just think that, yes, the obvious frustration is the Red Sox final offer was somewhere in the ballpark of, you know, six years, 160 million. The Padres offer that Bogarts ultimately signed 11 years for 280 million. Now you do the math, the, you know, the, the, the differential in that is staggering. And I just think the, the thing that we're all frustrated with, I think, is 
where was that six for 160 offer in the spring? You know, there are multi, a lot of reports that, you know, said it was, you know, four for 90 or something like that. And, you know, that's just kind of insulting, I think. And I think just to come back to the table at the very last moment and be like, oh, you know, six for 160, it's just like, well, where the where was that from the beginning? And I think, again, it just goes to show you that I think ownership just assumes that these guys are going to take hometown discounts and they're not going to want to get paid like the correct amount that they should be paid. And it's just, and look, Bogarts is not worth 11 years for 280 million. Would never, I would never sign him to that contract, but it's not, you know, that's not the issue. But I think it's just, you can't be that far apart in, you know, what, like ultimately what he signed versus what your offer is. You can't be that far apart. And I understand if, you know, six for 160 is where they were, but it's like, I feel like you could have gone higher, you know, I feel like you could have gone to seven years or eight years even. And it's just, it's just frustrating that you read some reports where he was willing, I think, to sign something similar to what Trevor Story signed last year. And it's just, it's like, okay, well, where was that when, 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 when we were in spring training? So it's just, I don't know. I think that there are some people that are mis, mispla- misplacing or placing blame on High and Bloom when I don't think it's necessarily all on him because I think it's, it's ownership, you know, um, lowballing these guys. And I don't know. I don't really think that they necessarily care about winning as much as maybe they say they do. Um, because they think, look, this ownership group has won four championships. I don't really think that they see this team as a, or they see this investment as a baseball team. You know, they see it as a way to make money. You know, they've bought stakes in a bunch of different things. You know, buying the Pittsburgh Penguins, buying, you know, Liverpool all those years ago. It's just, to me, I think it's just, it's more of a business for these guys now. And, you know, that's just the way that they run things. And it's just, it's disappointing, but it's so predictable. You know, I think for the longest time, I didn't want to believe that they were going to do the same thing to, to Bogarts. And I was thinking, oh, Bogarts is different. You know, this is a different situation, but ultimately it's not. And I think it just, and I said this last week, it's just getting Bogarts signed was so, like, should have been so easy and should have been the easiest plan in the world that you have this guy, Devers' story for the next, you know, five, six years, whatever it is. And... Now we're going to make things more difficult with losing Bogarts. And, I mean, if you're going to lose Bogarts, I mean, I, how are we How are we as fans supposed to be convinced that they're going to keep Devers? You know, where it's like, it kind of looks like it might shape up to be another Mookie Betts, where it's like, okay, you might just have to trade him because, you know, God knows that this ownership is not going to be able to give him, you know, a fair offer. So it's just disappointing, you know, it really is. And you just would think that ownership would care about the baseball team and would care about winning, you know, and have that same urgency that they did when they first bought the team, 
you know, you think back when they bought the team in, what, 2002? Um, you know, went out and I think it was, what yeah, it was after they, you know, lost that ALCS to the Yankees in 2003. You know, they come back and what do they do? They sign, or they trade for Kurt Schilling. You know, they sign Keith Folk. You know, they make these big moves that it's like, okay, we are serious about winning. Now that they've won four times, I don't think they're as serious as they used to be. And, you know, I don't think much is going to change with the way that they negotiate until they get new owners. Until they get, you know, people that actually understand how to negotiate with their own players. It just kind of blows my mind that we're having the same conversation that we had with John Lester and same thing has happened. And so it's just, you know, it just is, it just is frustrating. And, you know, all the actions that this, you know, front office made us think that they were going to get Bogart signed no matter what. And clearly they were not willing to go to the lengths that the Padres were. And look, Again, 11 years is not something I would sign Bogarts for, you know, but it's just, it's like, you can't lose him, you know, I just, I just, I don't understand where, you know, this final offer, why wasn't that where they went in spring training, you know, it just, I don't know, you know, I feel like there's not much more I can say other than it's just disappointing, but it's kind of not surprising. Um, you know, as far as what they're going to do next, you know, for the, <laughs> try to, you know, replace Bogarts, who knows? You know, I think it's, you know, one of two things. They're either going to move Trevor Story to shortstop, you know, and I don't know, try to get someone to play second base. I mean, I don't really know who would. I mean, Christian Arroyo, maybe, but so, I mean, I think that's one option that they're moving Story to shortstop and they you know, find another bat that they bring in. Um, you know, I just, I'll be honest, that doesn't really excite me very much. Um, and it just, I think is, I don't know, it's, it's, it just is going to be confusing to me if that's what their plan B ultimately was, is they just move story to shortstop and they don't really do anything. Um, I can't, I, I'm not going to sit here and say that I think they're done in free agency. I don't believe that. I think that they will make some more signings, but it's just, I don't know, you know, you got to do something there. And I feel like for me, you know, so it's either, yeah, the story is shortstop or you go out and sign someone to play shortstop, whether it's Dansby Swanson or Carlos Correa. So, you know, I don't, I really don't know, you know, Correa has a personal relationship with Alex Cora. So you know, who knows, that could be someone that they look and sign, but he's someone that I think is going to look for a, you know, major contract like Bogarts and Trey Turner that he's going to be looking for, you know, double digit years and probably upwards of 250 million. So it would be a very huge investment. You know, Swanson, I think, probably would not be making that much. I mean, he might be asking for a contract like that. Um, but it's like, look, they're both decent players. You know, I think if the Red Sox signed Correa, 
that would make me feel better about losing Bogarts. It wouldn't, you know, replace everything, but it's just, you know, I think Carlos is an incredible baseball player and is a good leader. And I think it's proven that, you know, in the postseason, he's an incredible player. So he's not someone I would be upset with. You know, Swanson, I think, may not be as good as Correa, but I think he's still a solid player. So, you know, who knows? Is that their plan B, that they go out and sign one of the other shortstops? Or do they stick Story at shortstop? You know, I think personally, I'd rather them go out and sign someone, keep Story at second base, because he was really good there defensively last year. Um, and I know, obviously, he was a shortstop in Colorado before he came here, but it's just, I really like how he looked at second base defensively. And I think you bring in Correa and Swanson at Correa or Swanson at shortstop, you know, and I think you have a pretty good defensive, pretty good middle of the infield defensively. Um, so it will be interesting to see. I mean, some other, obviously, other signings the Red Sox made last week. Kenley Jansen signs on uh, for a two-year deal. He's been around the league for a really long time. Been a guy that consistently gets 30 or 40 saves every year. So I think from the from a bullpen perspective, I really like how they look right now. You know, bringing in Chris Martin, now bringing in Jansen. Those are two really good righty relievers that strike out a lot of guys. Jansen obviously has had a great career with a lot of saves. So he gives you a legitimate lockdown closer and you might look at this bullpen and say it's pretty solidified. You know, if they're still going to have Tanner Houck, you know, whatever they decide to do with Garrett Whitlock, you know, that's a pretty good bullpen looking at it right now. So I am pretty pleased with that, um, but I'll be curious to see how Jansen does um, in a Red Sox uniform. Really like the signing. Really excited to see him get to work. Uh, the Red Sox obviously made headlines with another uh, contract that they signed you know, five-year, 90 million, five years, 90 million, I want to say, uh, for a Japanese outfielder, Masataka Yoshida, who played in, who has played in Japan. He's 29 years old. He's played uh, professionally in Japan for seven seasons. Um, don't really know a whole lot about this player um, in terms of seeing him, um, but, you know, statistically, last season, Played in 121 games in Japan, had 21 home runs, 89 RBIs, hit 336. Um, has always been a guy that gets on base at a 449 on base percentage last year, which is very, very good for his career. He's over 400 an on base percentage and a 326 career hitter. So, definitely a player that gets on base you know, can hit a little bit, has a little bit of power, you know, has hit upward, has hit 20 home runs in a couple of different seasons, had 29 home runs in 2019. I mean, obviously, this is the Japanese league. This is not Major League Baseball. So, you know, obviously there will be kind of a adjustment to Major League pitching. Um, but I think, you know, looking at the way that he can get on base is really what the Red Sox need, I think, especially from the leadoff spot. Um, be curious to see where he plays on the field. Um, he is an outfielder, so, you know, it could be possible that the Red Sox stick him in right field or left field. I don't think he would be in center field, um, 
is kind of a small guy, 5'8", 176, um, his height and weight. So, you know, curious to see where he would play. But I would think if he's in the starting lineup, he's on, he's in that leadoff spot. And I think the Red Sox definitely need some help in that spot. So I like the signing, you know, whether or not it's an overpay is kind of up for debate, to be perfectly honest, because look, the guy's not played in Major League Baseball, so we don't know if it's an overpay or not. You know, he could come in and light up the league, win Rookie of the Year, and you could look at that contract and think, wow, that's actually an underpay, you know. He could also underperform, and you could think that, okay, this is another, you know, bad contract that this ownership has, you know, put out there. But me being the, opt- the optimist, I'm going to try to see this in a positive way that, you know, hopefully he can stabilize their leadoff spot can give them some good defensive play in the outfield and, you know, get on base, hit some home runs, you know, and be a guy that can bring some excitement uh, to this Red Sox team that I think really is going to need it when spring training comes around because I think there's going to be, you know, no matter what happens at the shortstop position, I think there's going to be a lot of negativity around this team coming into spring training. So, you hope someone like Yoshida can bring some excitement to the team. Uh, people can be excited to come see him. And, you know, hopefully the Red Sox can get off to a good start this season. Obviously, we're still months away from that. We have no idea what the team's going to look like on opening day. But I like the player. I like the signing. I like the Jansen signing. Um, but obviously, the play is going to speak for itself. So that's all I'm going to say. You know, I think. As we continue to go through this offseason, winning trumps everything. That's all I'm going to say. And I think, look, you know, it sucks to lose Bogarts, but if this team is able to come out of the gate and win games next year, it might make it easier. So, you know, we'll see what else the Red Sox do. But, you know, it, it, it is what it is at this point. And I totally get people's frustrations with the team, you know, with kind of fumbling this whole Bogarts thing, but, you know, you have a team to run and you have to, you know, make moves to help improve your team. So, you know, you got to hope that that continues this offseason. You know, the winter meetings are over, but we'll obviously keep you posted uh, the rest of the offseason. So now we're going to move to the Bruins, who came off a really impressive win last night in Vegas, Bruins concluding their little three-game trip with a 3-1 to win in Vegas last night. Uh, really impressive game uh, the Bruins had third period with a couple of goals from uh, Charlie Coyle and uh, Jake DeBrusque. I think that I was just really impressed with the way that you know, they came into that third period and played so strongly that, you know, I think to that point they had just kind of played an okay game, but I think they really started to play with more pace, take more chances in the offensive zone, and that was just an incredible shift by um, Coyle, Frederick, and Felino that were on the goal or on the ice for uh, Coyle's goal that made it a two-goal game. Um, it just was exactly what you want to see with that group. You know, protecting the puck, holding onto the puck, 
you know, getting getting good scoring opportunities and then Coyle, you know, bearing the goal, which he's been really good recently. I think he has his like goals in his, in goals or points in like all of his last five games. He now is up to eight goals on the season. So, you know, I think that just having him as your third line center is just it's just such a perfect spot for him. Um, and I think now it's like you have David Krejci back. Obviously, he didn't play last night, but you have the ability that you have Krejci as your second-line center. Or if Krejci's not playing, you can throw Zaka in there. He had an assist last night. So it's just it's just great that Charlie can just be in that third-line spot and just kind of just play his game and play the way that he knows how, which is just puck protection you know, long reach. He's a really solid defensive player, um, but also has some great offensive skill as well. So really pleased with him and how he's been playing recently. Um, and obviously, you know, the guys that have played on the third line, you know, Taylor Hall, we talked about him a lot last week, um, and Trent Frederick as well. I think that both of them are really starting to find their game. I think Frederick, especially now, is starting to look like a really solid NHL player. You know, Nick Foligno as well looked good on that line. The Bruins kind of jumbled some lines a little bit during the game last night, uh, which is good to see. I think it's always good to try guys with different combinations. Um, but I was really impressed with Charlie Coyle and really impressed with kind of the leadership with this team, with the way that they just took control of that game in the third period. Um, and I think We've spoken about their leadership for so long that it just it just is just amazing because it really seems to rub off on everyone that you know a different guy can make a play each and every night. You know we've been seeing that this season, which has been awesome. So just really impressed with the effort last night. You know, end of a road trip. You know, a game against a really good hockey team. You know, I know Vegas has been missing some of their key guys recently, but it still was a really, really huge win for them. Um, I think coming off that frustrating loss to Arizona the other night, it just was really huge. Come in, play a great third period against a really good hockey team and against a goalie that was really, I think, starting to frustrate the Bruins uh, with how well he played. For the majority of that game, the Bruins then, you know, taking advantage of some great scoring opportunities. You know, I think I'll talk about Coyle's goal, but DeBrusque's goal was really beautiful. It was a great play in the neutral zone by Taylor Hall and then just a ridiculous saucer pass by Pavel Zaka. Um, that is one of the most impressive passes I've ever seen. You know, the saucer pass is a really, really impressive play, you know, where a guy passes it off the surface of the ice and just a great finish by DeBrusque. And, you know, you could see the, the emotion on his face after he scored. You know, I think well, you can say whatever you want to say about his, you know, relationship with Bruce Cassidy, but you could tell that he was super excited uh, to score last night. So it was good to see from him. Um, Linus Olmark was just unbelievable in this game. He's just been dominant this season you know it's shades of tim thomas 2010 2011 it is shades of that he's been that dominant he's now 16 and 1 on the season um 
Oh my goodness, he just was huge last night. Came up a big save after big save. Um, and it's just, it's just great to see. You know, it's just, I feel like, this may sound bad, but I feel like me personally, I keep waiting for him to have a bad game, but he keeps responding and keeps coming up with big saves and made saves on a couple breakaways last night, a couple huge opportunities for Vegas, but he just stood tall. So he's been impressive. I mean, easily, I think, has been the best goalie in the league this season. Um, and I honestly don't think it's close. And I know that I sound like a bit of a homer, but hey, this is a Boston sports podcast. This is what it sounds like. Um, but I think just to see him playing so well is is huge. You know, and I know that we've said that would like to see Jeremy Swayman get some more games, but I think you ride the hot hand. You know, you keep riding the guy that's come up with big save after big save. And I think that, you know, <laughs> he's starting to make that contract look like an underpay. As crazy as that sounds, as crazy as, you know, people thought that was the worst goalie contract that they've ever seen, you know, when he signed as a free agent. But it's like getting a Vesna caliber goalie for $5 million, that's pretty good. You know, I don't, I don't, I don't know too much about anything. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, but that's a pretty good contract for a guy that is uh, just playing out of his mind. Um, you know, I touched on this a little bit a couple minutes ago, but I think just that win last night is just a great example of showing the Bruins' character that they can bounce back from a really tough and frustrating loss. You know, with the Bruins losing that game to the Coyotes Friday night on the play that should have been called icing, you know, is not called correctly. Arizona scores a goal, you know, and you lose a game with 15 seconds left in the, in, in the third period. So just to come back to Vegas against a good team on the road, you know, posting a two-goal third period to take the win, you know, just shows awesome character and leadership that they're not going to let one, you know, frustrating loss define them. You know, they're not going to let that continue to frustrate them, you know, and it was a similar thing earlier this week as well with the Bruins losing in the shootout to Vegas at the Garden, you know, breaking their home streak of 14 straight home wins. The Bruins come right back open that road trip with a 4 nothing win against the Avalanche in which the Bruins just dominated, you know, and I know that Yes, Colorado was with a lot of their without was without a lot of their key players, but the Bruins just were dominant in this game, you know, and I think proved that okay, that's what it's gonna take to beat us. A shootout goal, a goal off of a play that should have been icing, but we're not gonna let that fester. We're not gonna let that continue. So just again, tremendous leadership by the Bruins uh, to be able to get that win last night. And now they are going to be home for, for a long period of time. We'll take a look at the schedule in a couple of minutes, but just so impressed with this team this season. Um, it's just, again, a, a start that has been kind of beyond our wildest dreams uh, with how well they've been playing, how well everyone's playing. You know, I looked earlier today, the Bruins have like eight or nine players that have at least five goals scored. You know, Nick Foligno scored a power play goal. Friday night has now eclipsed his point total from last season, you know, 27 games in. So it's just been a great year for him. You know, granted, 
some of the guys have not necessarily been producing great over the last couple of games. You know, Zaka, I think, had not produced a point in a good period of time, did obviously have that assist last night. But I think you're just seeing so many different guys step up, uh, which is just great to see. Charlie Coyle is now kind of the most recent guy that's been able to step up and put, put pucks in the net um, and be able to produce at a good, you know, third-line center clip, you know, 14 points in 27 games. You know, that's pretty good for a third-line center, and I think is just such a solidifying, stable force uh, to have someone like Charlie on the roster, and it's kind of amazing he has played like this pretty much since he got here um, a number of years ago from Minnesota. I mean, obviously he had um, an injury that kind of limited him a couple of years ago, um, but he's just been so, I think, consistent and just, you know exactly what you're going to get from him every night. So just great to see kind of the production kind of match all the other little things um, that he does. Uh, one of the things that I think I would like to see more of is the Bruins D taking more shots. Um, and I understand that, you know, there are things that happen in the course of a game that, you know, you you don't necessarily need your defenseman to be taking seven, eight shots every night. But I feel like I would like to see some of them a little bit more aggressive. You know, I think that Lindholm previously when, you know, McAvoy was out, he felt like he kind of had to be that guy that had to pep, had to chip in with some goal scoring or point scoring and it's kind of leveled off a little bit. You know, McAvoy hasn't exactly shot the puck a lot. You know, I think, and honestly, this may be a nitpicking thing, but I think I would like the Bruins to see their defensemen getting more shots to the net, you know, getting pucks to the the top of the blue line, letting McAvoy just rip a shot. You know, doesn't need to be a slap shot, doesn't need to be, you know, the hardest shot he's ever taken, but I think the defensemen need to kind of need to get more pucks to the net, uh, create some chaos in front of the net, you know, score a goal or two. I'm not saying that they need to score goals, but I think it's just being having more of a shot mentality um, rather than just kind of hanging on to it. And I understand that, yes, one of the th- one of the new things that I think they're being taught this year is not just throw the puck on goal with no one in front of the net. You know, obviously throw the puck on net when their guys in front. Um, you know, not shooting it from 60 feet and there's no one in front of the goal. But I think I would like to see Charlie McAvoy in particular be a little bit more aggressive with shooting the puck. Um, And I know that he is a fantastic puck distributor. You know, he's a fantastic passer, but I think I would like to see him be a little bit more aggressive so the Bruins can start to get some production from their back line so they don't have to feel like it's, you know... (laughs) Marshan, Pasternak, Bergeron, Debraska. And I understand that there are other guys that are scoring goals, which is why this probably sounds like a nitpick thing, but I think I would like to see the defense take a little take some more shots. Um, just as kind of a thing that they could be that I think they could be doing better. Um, but it's great the Bruins are home for the next five games. It's the uh, longest homestand of the season five games. So uh, great for the Bruins to be home after a trip of three games, but then also to be back from that, you know, stretch where they played a lot of pretty good teams. 
Bruins came through that stretch stretch six two and one. So you can't really ask for a much better performance over those last nine games. But the Bruins do have some interesting teams coming in um, over the next couple of weeks. The Islanders come in tomorrow night to play the Bruins. Then the Kings come in on Thursday. Bruins have a matinee against the Columbus Blue Jackets um, on Saturday. So that will be interesting to see. Um, and then next Monday, Bruins play the Panthers. And then they close the homestand next Thursday, the 22nd, against the Winnipeg Jets. So a couple of pretty decent teams. You know, it'll be interesting to see Patrick Laine and uh, Johnny Gaudreau come in Saturday afternoon. But Bruins playing an Islanders team that have been pretty solid this season. You know, the LA Kings have been an exciting team. You know, maybe their record doesn't exactly show that, but they've been a fun team to watch. So, you know, some good opponents for the Bruins to continue to improve their game. Uh, Craig Smith's been into the lineup the last couple of games. I actually like the way that he played last night. Played a little bit with Coyle and Frederick last night, which was kind of cool to see. That was a third line that I thought performed well for a period last year. So it was nice to see the three of them together. Um, and, you know, Jake DeBrusque, you saw him play with Pavel Zaka for a little bit of the third period. You know, Taylor Hall was second or third line wherever he was. Um, but just great to see that the Bruins can throw guys into different spots and they can still, you know, perform well, that you don't feel like, oh, a certain guy can only play in this spot. So... Really was good to see last night, so hope it continues. Bruins and Islanders at 7 o'clock tomorrow night at the Garden. So now we're going to get to the Celtics. Came off a, uh, not going to lie, pretty frustrating loss to the Warriors on Saturday night. It was probably, probably one of their worst defensive performances of the season. You know, I don't want to make that sound totally negative, but it just seemed like they had a really hard time with you know, the high screens, the high picks that Golden State does to kind of free up Steph Curry and Klay Thompson. And the Celtics kind of seem to play defense the way that they played defense in the finals with, you know, a big playing that drop coverage and giving, you know, Curry and Thompson way too much space. And it just, it seems like it's such an obvious thing that you don't want to give them space. You don't want to give them, you know, open shots and open threes. And lo and behold, they killed you. They killed you Saturday night with three-pointers, you know, and that wasn't the only reason you lost. You know, the Warriors just kind of out-hustled and outplayed the Celtics, which kind of was not something that you want to see from, you know, a Celtics team that has dominated this season, you know, and you feel you felt like they should have come in with a little bit more aggressiveness in this game against a team that, you know, beat you in the finals. Not only that, beat you on your home court. I kind of expected the Celtics to, you know, come in with a little bit more aggressiveness and kind of be the aggressor, but Golden State kind of was that team, and they didn't really let up the entire game. So, you know, who knows? But I think, again, it's not a game to get, you know, overly upset about and think, oh, this team, you know, isn't as good as we think we are, things like that, but... I think it just was frustrating from a defensive standpoint where, you know, you kind of let Curry and Thompson do what they wanted. And it was, you know, almost a carbon copy of the finals where Curry would do the same thing. You know, the Celtics would play that same type of defense. No one would 
you know, step up and contest the shot. And the Celtics started doing that in the fourth quarter, which I think just made things even more frustrating, where Grant Williams started to, you know, not play as low and kind of step up in front of Curry and, you know, contest him on some of those shots where either he took it and he missed or he didn't take the shot. And it just was like, okay, well, where was that defense in the first quarter? Um, so I think that just was was frustrating for me. Um, you know, they just kind of seemed to get outplayed. You know, the Warriors were getting a lot of offensive rebounds. They were first to loose balls and things like that. So, you know, you hope that a loss like that wakes up the Celtics and makes them, makes them think that, okay, you guys may be playing well. You guys may have won 21 of your first 26, but... You know, teams are not going to lie down for you. You're going to have to beat them. And it just was very strange to see Jason Tatum not be efficient, you know, really have have trouble with the, with the defense. Um, you know, I, I got to be honest, it was very similar to watching the finals last June, where it just was like they couldn't get anything going offensively. They didn't shoot well. You know, they turned the ball over, you know, made a lot of mistakes that really were not like the team that, you know, you saw tear through the regular season last year and then tear through the regular season to this point this year. So, you know, you got to hope it's just a little bump. You know, it's a long road trip the Celtics are on. It's the, it was the fourth game of the, of, of the trip. Celtics still have two more. Um, but I think the defense was kind of a little concerning. So, you know, look, I'm not going to think that they're going to make crazy big changes to their defense because of one loss, because it's like that was their first loss after winning um, eight of nine. So you're not going to see them make crazy changes, um, but it just is like, it kind of gives you a reminder that, okay, this is a Warriors team that still can shoot the lights out, and the Celtics really need to come more prepared the next time they play them, um, which I believe is in February, if I'm not mistaken. No, January, January 19th, the Warriors come to Boston. So you hope it improves by then, but it's like, again, this is a Western Conference team, and chances are you're going to play them one more time this year. You know, yeah, it is possible you play them in the finals again. I guess I'd kind of be surprised, but you got to hope that defensively it was just a blip um, and they can kind of get back to playing some solid defense um, when they play the Clippers tonight in L.A., and then they will go play the Lakers on Tuesday night, so a back-to-back in L.A. Um, I have to say, with Al Horford missing the last two games, being in health and safety protocol, there was also another game that he had missed, I think, because of rest. I think maybe it was that Toronto game, and then he's missed, um, obviously, the last two in Phoenix and in uh, San Francisco. Blake Griffin has stepped in and I think has played really, really well. You know, I think that he's been a guy that's stayed ready, you know, and despite playing very few minutes, he played really, really well on on Saturday night. Um, I thought especially in, you know, Phoenix and in San Francisco, I thought he played really, really well. You know, I think was really aggressive, you know, following up missed shots, you know, still is a good rebounder, still is a guy that can shoot make threes every once in a while, but I think it just is, it's a credit to him for accepting a really small role on this team, 
but then being able to step into a larger role when the situation calls for it. And I think he's given the Celtics exactly what they asked for, you know, good solid minutes, but also a guy that I think is a great locker room guy to have, is a great player that, you know, the, the young players can kind of attach themselves to, whether it's Peyton Pritchard or, you know, Luke Cornett or Noah Vonley, even guys that maybe don't play a lot of minutes. I think it just does a lot for the locker room chemistry. So I really like what he's brought, you know, his play has been really good over the last three games that he started the last three games. Um, you got to think maybe he starts tonight. Who knows? I think we're still not sure about Al Horford's status. And then speaking of big men and roles, uh, Robert Williams is, I think, coming back very soon. You know, I don't know if he comes back on this road trip, but the Celtics having a game tonight and then a game against the Lakers on Tuesday. But you got to think he's very close to returning. I think there was a report that um, during the Phoenix game that he may be 10 or 12 days away. So, you know, you got to think that he's coming back pretty soon and, you know, probably should be back on the homestand. But maybe there's a surprise. Maybe he plays tonight. Maybe he plays Tuesday night. But I think it certainly would be great to see him getting back into action, getting back into the swing of things. And, you know, I hope the Celtics can take things as safely and as carefully as they can. Um, but I do think that Rob has gone through a lot of recovery. You know, you've seen him practicing in scrimmages and things like that. And it, you know, looks like he is very close to getting ready to return. So, you know, when he comes back, it certainly will be another probably change in role for Blake Griffin. But, He's responded well to anything the Celtics have asked, anything the Celtics have asked him to do. So I'm really looking forward to Rob's return. I'm certain that we all are. You know, it'll help, you know, stabilize their defense, the interior defense, and, you know, kind of just be that anchor in the middle. So looking forward to his return whenever that is. Um, Jalen Brown has been playing really well recently. You know, I know that there's been a lot of national love for Jason Tatum, and rightfully so. He's played excellent to this point this season, but I think, you know, someone brought up an interesting point, I think, during the broadcast on Saturday that, you know, Jalen Brown may deserve to be talked about more in kind of the MVP conversation, not that he's going to win, but I think he is playing, you know, just as good as Jason Tatum. You know, obviously, their games are not the same. You know, Jason, I think... Is kind of more of the all-around player, but Jalen's been playing awesome basketball. You know, it's 30-plus points in three of his last five games. So the two of them just continue to be really efficient. You know, Jalen continues to just be unbelievable shooting those mid-range jumpers. You know, it's almost like watching DeMar DeRozan shooting those mid-range jumpers where it's just automatic. Um, but I think... You're just seeing the aggressiveness. You're seeing the, you know, kind of lead by example type of thing with him and Jason. So I just do think that Jalen Brown does deserve a little bit more love um, in terms of kind of the conversations about, you know, MVP who's playing really well for the Celtics that, you know, Jason is going to get a lot of the love, I think. But can't forget about Jalen Brown and, you know, how special he's been playing this season. You know, it's one of those things where, I think we talk about 
how much different or how much better he gets year after year. So really impressed with him um, and how well he's been playing Celtics, obviously, in L.A. tonight against the Clippers and then Tuesday night against the Lakers. Uh, should be some interesting games. You know, really not sure about the uh, health of both of these teams that they are playing. You know, LeBron certainly will be playing. I'm not sure about Anthony Davis, you know, kind of never sure about him or uh, Kawhi Leonard, but it should be a good game for the Celtics tonight. I think that uh, Clippers should should have most of their roster healthy for that game. And I believe that the Lakers should as well. Uh, just kind of quickly taking a look at those, see if they have, you know, injury reports for those games. Um, but should be good tests for uh, the Celtics against some decent teams. You know, I wouldn't call the Lakers like a championship contender, and I probably wouldn't call the Clippers a championship contender. I mean, there's always kind of a, you know, I don't, the, the, the Clippers are hard because they think when they're fully healthy, you would consider them a title favor, but they're never really fully healthy. So it's kind of hard to take them seriously, but there will be good tests for the Celtics tonight as they, um, or tonight and Tuesday when they wrap up their road trip. So um, it'll be exciting to watch both of those games. Then the Celtics are home for six in a row, or seven in a row, excuse me, all the way up to the new year. So it will be a good bit of home cooking for the uh, Celtics and the Bruins as they are going to be home for a long period of time around the holidays. So I think that's going to do it for uh, all the Boston teams. I think I'm going to try to see if I can find uh, some free agent deals in Major League Baseball to take a look at as a lot of these contracts were signed last week during the winter meetings. There were reports that Aaron Judge had signed with the uh, Giants, or I should say Arson Judge. If you were paying attention to Twitter, someone had uh, misspelled his name, which actually is pretty funny, but no, Aaron Judge uh, signed a nine-year $360 million deal with the Yankees. So he returns to the Yankees after maybe some reports that he had signed with the Giants. So he's back with the Yankees. Trey Turner obviously took a major amount of money to sign with the Phillies, 11 years, $300 million. Bogarts, obviously, we talked about. Jacob deGrom signed a five-year deal with the Texas Rangers. Brandon Nimmo just recently signed um, an eight-year extension with the Mets, so he's back in New York. Justin Verlander, a two-year deal also with the Mets. Uh, Taiwan Walker signed a four-year deal with the Phillies. Jose Brave obviously had signed with the Astros. Wilson Contreras, the former Cubs catcher, signed a five-year deal with the Cardinals. Zach Eflin agreed to terms with Tampa Bay. Um, I think those are kind of the big names that were 
uh, signed so far. There still are a decent amount of players that are not yet signed. You know, Dansby Swanson, Carlos Correa, um, uh, Andrew Benintendi as well, Chris Bassett, who's a right-handed pitcher. Um, I think there are some... Uh, I don't say if the rumors are founded, but I think the Red Sox may be interested in him. Carlos Rodon is also unsigned as well. Um, so possible probability that he gets a pretty big deal. Um, so Carlos Correa and Swanson are kind of the big names that have not been signed yet. And obviously could be an opportunity for the uh, Red Sox to get into some more or get into spending more, more money, I guess, to be competitive. Um, so now we're going to take a look at the NFL, take a look at week 14 I almost said week 15 no we're not at week 15 yet we're week 15 next week we're on, we're in week 14 so week 14 got started with a wild game on Thursday night football with the Rams beating the Raiders we had uh, finished recording last week and then Baker Mayfield had uh, been released or had requested to be released from the Panthers they requested it Three days later, he signed, or two days later, he signs, or no, I think it was the next day he signed with the Rams. Then two days later, played played in a football game for the Rams. Not only played, but won and led the team on a game-winning 98-yard drive, which was a pretty impressive drive um, on his part, you know, playing with a group of guys that he'd never played with before, uh, leading them to a win against the Raiders. It was a really impressive win. Um for Mr. Mayfield, kind of a uh, Hollywood script, if you will. Um, so that was a pretty impressive sight to behold. Um, taking a look at Sunday's scores, the Bills held on to beat the Jets 20-12. to The Bengals beat the Browns 23-10. to Bengals improved to 9-4. Bills improved to 10-3 with the win over the Jets. And now the Patriots have a chance to be in that seventh playoff spot if they beat the Cardinals tonight, um, as they have, obviously, a tiebreaker over the Jets. We'll take a look at the standings uh, after we take a look at the scores. Bengals beat the Browns. Cowboys survive against the Texans. Ezekiel Elliott with a game-winning rushing touchdown under a minute to go. Tech, or Cowboys beat the Texans 27-23. to Cowboys improve to 10 and 3 with the win the lions with a tremendous offensive performance at beating the vikings 34 to 23 and don't look now but the detroit lions are coming up fast on the rest of the nfc for a playoff spot the vikings fall to 10 and 3 lions improve to 6 and 7 the jaguars shock the titans 36 22 trevor lawrence 368 yards and three touchdowns two passes Two touchdown passes to Evan Ingram. The Titans drop their second straight game. Jags improve to five and eight, and the Titans fall to seven and six. The Eagles run roughshod over the Giants, forty-eight to twenty-two. Eagles no problem in this game at all. Offensively, Jalen Hurts with his tenth rushing touchdown of the season. Miles Sanders had two rushing touchdowns. 48 to 22 final. Eagles improve to 12 and 1. Giants fall to 7 5 and 1. 
the Ravens hold on in a defensive struggle as uh, Tyler Huntley, their backup, had to leave the game with a concussion. So they finished the game with, thir with their third-string quarterback, beating the Steelers 16-14. to Ravens improve to 9-4. and uh, The Chiefs nearly blowing a huge lead against the Broncos, but they hang on. 34-28, the final score. Chiefs improved to 10-3. and Chiefs were up 27 to nothing in this game, so Broncos almost come all the way back with Russell Wilson having to leave the game with a concussion. So Broncos fall to 3-10 with the loss. Uh, probably the most shocking score from yesterday, the 49ers dominating the Buccaneers 35-7. to uh, Brock Purdy with his first career start, three touchdown passes as he is. He is their third-string quarterback was the last pick in the draft this past year. Um, and the Buccaneers fall to 6-7, and seven and things are not looking good for Tampa Bay, but the 49ers dominate. But it may have come with a price, as Devo Samuel uh, was hurt in this game, had to be carted off the field, so no update on him. But uh, that win for the 49ers may have come at a price. Uh, the Panthers hold on to beat the Seahawks 30-24. to 24. And then last night on Sunday Night Football, the Chargers outlast the Dolphins 23-17. Justin Herbert was tremendous in this game. Tua Tagovailoa did not have a great game, did have a touchdown pass to Tyreek Hill. And then actually one of the wildest plays that you'll ever see on an NFL field, I believe that it was in the first half, where it was Raheem Mostert, uh, Dolphins running back, you know, ran ahead. 10 12 yards then the ball was stripped ball comes out Tyreek Hill recovers it runs around the, the the scrum and takes it 60 yards to the house so that was a pretty wild scene but uh, the Chargers improved to seven and six with the win Dolphins fall to eight and five there were six teams on buys this week the Falcons the Bears the Packers the Colts the Saints and the Commanders obviously Monday Night Football Patriots and Cardinals tonight. We're going to take a look at the playoff standings in both conferences. Starting the AFC, the Bills with the top spot now as they beat the Jets and are now in a tie with the Chiefs. Uh, but the Bills have the advantage because of their head-to-head -head win. So the Bills, number one seed, the Chiefs, number two, then followed by Baltimore and Tennessee as the division winners, and then the three Wildcard teams, Cincinnati, Miami, and the Chargers. The Patriots would be able to jump. I believe that they'll be able to jump into the seventh spot, although I'm not sure. I know they will at least jump the Jets, so pretty huge game for the Patriots in terms of uh, playoff seeding. In the NFC, Philadelphia, the first team to clinch a playoff berth. They are the number one seed currently in the NFC, a two-game lead over the Minnesota Vikings, San Francisco, and Tampa Bay, also in the playoff structure in terms of the division winners and the wildcard teams, Dallas, Washington, and the Giants. So oddly enough, despite Tampa Bay being 6-7, and seven, they still lead their division as Carolina and um, Atlanta are a game back at 5-8, and eight, um, and then Seattle right there. On the outside, looking in for the playoffs, as are the Detroit Lions. So I think 
that's probably going to do it for NFL. I think we're going to move over, talk about just some updates from the NBA. Uh, Paul Silas, a three-time NBA champion um, and coach, passed away yesterday at the age of 79. Paul Silas is a member of two Celtics championship teams in the 1970s. So we're thinking about um, his family currently. Uh, also was a coach that I believe was LeBron's first coach um, in the NBA. So NBA family definitely lost a, a, a great one yesterday. And Joel Embiid had 50 points in last night's win for the Sixers and the Pelicans beating the Suns in overtime last night to um, get the, have to maintain the top spot in the Western Conference, if you can believe that. We're actually going to now take a look at the standings. Uh, the Celtics still on top of the East, a game and a half ahead of the Bucks. Cavs are in third. The Brooklyn Nets are in fourth, who've been playing some really good basketball recently. Sixers in fifth, and then the Hawks in sixth place, and then the teams in the play-in, Pacers, the Knicks, the Raptors, and the Miami Heat. In the West, obviously, Pelicans now atop the West at 18-8. and eight. They have a one-game lead over the Memphis Grizzlies. Then they are followed by Denver, Phoenix, Sacramento, and Portland. And then the play-in teams at the moment, the Clippers, the Warriors, the Jazz, and the Dallas Mavericks. So I think we're going to get to the NHL. Actually, I'll give you a look at some NBA games tonight, 7 o'clock, uh, the Heat and the Pacers and the Nets and the Wizards, and then 8 o'clock on NBA TV, the Hawks and the Grizzlies, and then two games at 8.30, the Thunder and the Mavs and the Cavaliers and the Spurs, and then Minnesota and Portland at 10 o'clock, and then Celtics and Clippers at 10.30. So we're going to jump over to the NHL couple of suspensions uh, doled out over the last couple of days. Jeff Skinner suspended three day, three games for cross-checking, um, and Jamie Alexiak of the Kraken suspended three games. The Coyotes, with their win over the Bruins on Friday night, ended their 19-game losing streak to the Bruins. The last time the Coyotes beat the Bruins was uh, 2010 season, or 2011 season opener in Prague where uh, Coyotes beat the Bruins 3-0, I believe. And uh, Tage Thompson had five goals in the Sabres' win last week, tying their single-game record for most goals. Alex Ovechkin is at 797 goals, scoring last night three away from 800, and 66 away from Wayne Gretzky's all-time record. So a couple of NHL games on the schedule tonight at 7 o'clock. The Flames against the Canadiens, the Devils against the Rangers, and then the Stars against the Penguins. The Devils-Rangers game is on NHL Network. And then 7.30, Ducks and Senators. And then at 8 o'clock, the Oilers and the Wild. And then the Predators against the St. Louis Blues. So now we're going to take a look at these standings. <laughs> Bruins with the top spot in the in the Atlantic and the top spot in the entire league with 45 points. 
in Toronto, right behind the Bruins, actually, at 42 points. They have also played two more games than the Bruins, but Toronto coming up fast on the top of the Atlantic. And Tampa Bay is in third place with 35 points. In the Metro, New Jersey still leads with 43 points. <clears throat> and then they are followed by Carolina and Pittsburgh in second and third with 36 points. In the wildcard spots, the Islanders with the first wildcard spot with 34 points. <clears throat> and then the Rangers in the second spot with 33 points. Detroit and Washington just a point out of that last playoff spot. In the Western Conference, Winnipeg and Dallas, 1-2 and two in the Central with 37 points, and then Colorado in third with 30 points. In the Pacific, Vegas still leads the pace with 41 points, and then they are followed in second and third by Seattle and the Kings with 35 points apiece. And then the wildcard teams, the Oilers and the Minnesota Wild. The Calgary Flames are tied in points with the Wild for that last playoff spot. Minnesota has the advantage based on their fewer amount of games played. So I think before we let you folks go, we are going to get to some uh, World Cup scores or a World Cup update. But actually, before we do that, I did want to give an update on college football. There are a couple of things that I thought made sense to touch on. Caleb Williams, the uh, USC quarterback, won the Heisman Trophy over the weekend. Um, and also, we have some bowl games, believe it or not, that are starting this week. Just figured I'd touch on the rest of the bowl games. Um, obviously, with the college football playoff, Michigan against TCU on uh, New Year's Eve at 4 o'clock, and then Georgia and Ohio State also on New Year's Eve at 8 o'clock. So the winners of those two games will play in the national championship. Just some bowl games that are worth talking about. The uh, Fenway Bowl uh, will be next Saturday, or this Saturday, I should say, um, at Fenway, 11 a.m., Cincinnati and Louisville. And so first bowl game at Fenway Park, that'll be kind of fun. Um, but... Not a lot of notable bowl games, I think, until we get to around New Year's when you see some of the top teams playing. So that's, I think, yeah, just all the update that I have for college football. Now we're going to update you guys on the World Cup and how things are going. Obviously, the semifinals are set with uh, two matchups this week. The... Um, Argentina against Croatia play tomorrow in the semifinal. Obviously a big match here as Croatia had made the World Cup final last last time in 2022. Argentina previously had made it in 2014, the last probably the last opportunity for Lionel Messi to win the World Cup. So that game is a two o'clock start tomorrow afternoon. And then France against surprising Morocco will play on Wednesday afternoon at 2 o'clock. Um, some really good games uh, over the weekend. Uh, France with the win over England. Morocco beating Portugal. Croatia beating Brazil on penalty kicks. And then Argentina beating Netherlands on penalty kicks. That was a wild game. So 
Looking forward to both of these games, and then the winners obviously will play in the World Cup final on the Sunday morning, and then the two losers will play in the third place match on Saturday morning. So I think that's probably going to do it for probably going to do it for me this week. Uh, had a lot to a lot to get through, but hope you uh, stayed through to the end. Um, as always. You can listen to the podcast on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify. You can follow those social pages for the latest updates. Looking forward to uh, Guest Friday this week with Matt Blue. We'll be talking some men's college basketball. Looking forward to it. So everyone have a great rest of your week, and we will talk to you on Friday.